everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding. We're a couple of bird brains looking for adventure and some birds. She's Hannah and I'm Eric. And we bring you this podcast to share our adventures with you and talk about random thoughts on other birding topics. Uh, just a couple of disclaimers. Like always, we're not experts. Anything we discuss that might be controversial, we will um, hope you keep an open mind, but also remember what we're discussing are our own opinions. So it's Valentine's Day. You know what that means. They didn't buy me anything. Well, yeah, but it's also the season for love for people, birds, bees, you know, all the other things that uh, do their thing. Um, and we promise to bring all of you the steamy details and more. But first, got to find out if there's any birding news this week. Well, of course there's birding news. Okay, let's hear it. Birds have wings. Um, <laughs> birds have wings? That, yep. that gives it, makes it birding news? <laughs> Um, so there's been lots of rarities flying in. We've got a long-legged buzzard in St. Paul Island, Alaska, which that's, is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Uh, red-flanked blue tail, which is code four in Los Angeles, which I feel like we've had a lot of friends go and see that, or maybe just a couple. I think some people have been talking about it down there. Yeah. Uh, white-throated thrush, code four in Arizona. Um, and then in Florida, they've had a couple cool things hanging out that... People have seen, like, the Blacktail Gull, which is a code four, and then a dark-billed cuckoo, which is a code five in Palm Beach, Florida. So that is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that's been blowing up everywhere. I mean, I I, I mostly only follow fa- bird things on Facebook, pretty much, but it's just, my Facebook is just covered in this, this dark-billed cuckoo. Yeah, it's I had to everywhere. take a break because I felt so guilty for moving away from Florida. Uh, so, well, it's, there's two this week. There's the Blacktail Gull and the dark-billed cuckoo, so... Yeah. Not cool, Florida. <laughs> um, and this could be the first record in the aviary area of that cuckoo. Uh, it's not the first time that one's been seen in the in the ABA. There was one in 1986 in Texas, but that wasn't accepted. Well, let's let's hope this one's accepted. I guess. I don't yeah, know. I guess so. <laughs> So, also, uh, the Champions of the Flyway race is coming up soon, and it's a pretty cool event if you haven't heard of it. The teams have been looking for donations for their causes, so if you're interested, you should check it out. So, birding teams in this competition, they uh, they play on a playing field, which consists of, it's pretty large, it's country, country-sized. It's like all of Israel and then like kind of the border of Jordan. Yeah, like a small a small portion of Jordan there. Um, and they compete to see who sees the most birds in a 24-hour period. And they go like all day, all night. Yeah, it's like midnight to midnight, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so they're, they're starting, they, they start earlier than that. They driving out to their first starting location and they get there at midnight and they wait, wait, midnight strikes and boom, they're off. That's crazy. Which, I mean, I, I guess you can see a couple couple birds, and then you just got to drive to your next location. Got to get your owls ready, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Release the owls. Release the owls. Um, so there's they're raising donations for a variety of causes throughout this event. Uh, and in 2018, $100,000 were raised from this event to help save migratory birds in Serbia and Croatia, which is just amazing. Yeah, $100,000. Yeah, right. <laughs> And this year, it looks like donations will go to BirdLife Kenya, and that's to help save Africa's vultures. So, a pretty noble cause, I think. Yeah. So, I'd, I'd only heard about this event last year when, uh, I think it was on Nathan Swick's podcast, the um, the American Birding Podcast. Think Don't plug the... his podcast. I'll, I'll plug whoever's podcast I want to plug. You're off the podcast. <laughs> I'm off the podcast now. All right. Well, this is Hannah Goes Birding now. <laughs> Hello. This is Hannah. <laughs> 
but um, we, I, I'd only ever heard of it last year when when we were listening to the podcast there. So it was it was pretty interesting. We read up on it a bit then, and now it's it's coming back around again. So in about five to ten years, you guys will hear of Hannah and Eric Goberti and having a team, and you can support it <laughs> or be on it or drive us <laughs> or drive us around. Yeah, because I mean, do, what side of the car do they drive on? I I don't know. I guess we'll have to find out. <laughs> why do you have to ask? Why do you have to ask such a hard question? I feel like you would know that. I, 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 th- I think they drive on the same side we drive. My dad on. would know that. He probably would. Yeah. Anyways, did we have any burning questions uh, to ask Hannah and Eric go burning? Not this time, okay. but I do want to plug. If you send us an email at Hannah and Eric go burning at gmail dot com, we've had a couple questions asked to us in past episodes. And to those of you that ask questions, and it doesn't have to be just burden things. It could be anything. We'll, we'll answer any question. It might not be the right <laughs> answer. It might not be a knowledgeable answer, but it'll be an answer. But we can answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you submit an answer to us, we will send you your very own Hannah and Eric Go Burning sticker. So, no charge to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll send it. We'll put a stamp on it and everything. Yeah. Send it right to you. It's a bird stamp, too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you have any questions, please send them our way so we can answer them on the next answer, podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we do have a couple of reviews, which are pretty exciting. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to sound right on that. That's my air microphone. Horn. I don't know. So, um, so what was there? There was two, two reviews. Yeah. Two in the last couple weeks. Yeah. So, um, the first one I guess was, uh, Indie Gardener. Um, they said, listen, listen to this podcast. Though I'm not a birder, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, I found it to be honest, real, and inspirational. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank that you very much. Very that's, nice. That's very, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to be a birder to listen to us. Yeah, anyone can listen to us talk about birds. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, the other one was fun and inspiring by, I'm just going to say Captain Garrot. Does that sound right? Maybe it's just Garrett. I don't sure. Know. I like the Garrot. Garrot. Well, anyways, they say... A naturally listenable and informative podcast born of the conversations two likable bird nerds have while on long drives chasing lifers. Mixing birding news, personal antidotes, and useful information, the couple does a delightful job of capturing the humanity of birding. It's also probably the first podcast that can be hashtagged birding goals and relationship goals. Yes, we can be hashtagged. That was probably one of the nicest things. And I was having a rough day when I found out that we got that review and read it. And that really turned it around. So thank you so much. And thank you both for uh, reviewing us and, you know, keeping us going. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the reviews. We live on your reviews. We really appreciate them. Yes. Thank you, guys. Well, like I said, since it's Valentine's Day, we wanted to share some information about birds um, making more birds. And the art of birds attracting other birds so that they can make more birds. I want to see how many times you can say birds in a sentence. Yeah, there's a birds, 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 making birds, and birds. Yeah, good job. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Um, So anyways, most living organisms, you know, have to reproduce in some manner to further their genetic code. And that is one of the main things of life, right? To have babies... So your genetic material can be passed on. Yeah, evolutionarily, that's the whole reason for existing is to further Make your more of you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a lot of living organisms that do this sort of thing, rather than like butting off, um, they have some sort of courtship display that they do when they are trying to attract the opposite sex uh, or for pair bonding. 
So, ex for example, you may hug your loved one when they get home from work, which would be more of a pair bonding behavior because you haven't seen each other for a while, and that's how you have that quick little bond before you might not see them again or, you know, to reinforce your relationship. Um, humans also work to attract potential mates through shows of, like, money, makeup, clothes, fancy cars, etc. All those things to show how successful they are in life and how suited they are to producing and caring for offspring. Yeah, so these instinctual behaviors in humans, they're, kind of, they're pretty much attributed to, like, our lizard brain, which is kind of like our... Uh beginning brain our, our limbic system so it's where the seat of our emotions our moods um where addictions are at like that, that sort of primitive section of your brain it's in charge of the four f's the flight fight food and making babies yeah four f's well we're not here to go over human anatomy or biology um so let's connect this with birds. Yeah, let's go back to birds. Let's <laughs> get off people and go, yeah. go back to birds. Yeah. Um, this is a family show. Yes. After all. So all, almost all birds have some sort of courtship display. And usually that's in the form of a dance or a call. Um, in fact, there are groupings of these things in courtship. Singing, displaying, dancing, preening, feeding, and building are all different forms of courtship behaviors. Also, so something else to bring up before we really like dive into it is I have a feeling, I don't know if we'll actually say it or not, but, <laughs> but, um, the phrase, uh, sexual dimorphism, it has, it has a lot to do with courtship. Um, and it's kind of a science, scientific -y phrase, or maybe it's a scientific phrase. I don't, I, don't I, I think it's scientific -y. scientific. -y. Yeah. Right. I like, I like throwing that one out there. You know, so people like, <laughs> No, I went to high school. Yeah. They're yeah. Like, they they know that. for sure we took biology in high school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so sexual dimorphism. It's a it's a phrase. Or it's a it's two words, so it's a phrase. Yeah. Um that means that basically the two sexes are different from each other. Are distinctly different. Distinctly from each different, other. yes. So there's a couple different ways things can be sexually dimorphic. It can be size based or color or yeah, I guess that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good list. <laughs> that's a good list. It was two things. Two two things still constitutes a list. So, like, for example, northern cardinals. Adult males are red and adult females are brown. And so they're obviously different from one another. So they would be what's called sexual di sexually dimorphic. Yeah. Versus, <laughs> thank you for confirming that. It's, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, and then there's things like stellar jays or blue jays where males and females look alike. And so we just call that sexual monomorphism because it's only one, one, um, morph. I, I guess if there's a dimorphic, there has to be a monomorphic, but I don't really ever hear anyone refer to monomorphic. I say it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Remember I went to biology and Oh yeah. You, you took school? biology in high school. Yeah. yeah I took I... AP biology. <laughs> so di meaning two, mono meaning one. So mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of where those come from. Morphic and sexually so they're based on the sex so and like we said know, break it down we <laughs> and like we said we might throw these terms around because we want you to think we're smart we want you to think that we're wearing glasses and you know fix we're, them on our nose every we're, once we're adjusting them yeah yes thank you have a monocle adjusting that too sometimes to be fancy well sometimes they're fancy yeah, yeah. but not when we're talking about birds getting it on no 
Apparently not. Let's get into that. <laughs> yeah, so um, we did a little bit of research. Um, we came up with a list of our ten favorites, not really in any particular order, so it's not like a top ten. or Our ten favorite what, Eric? Our ten favorite birds that have mating rituals. Okay, so our ten favorite bird aye, courtship aye, aye. displays. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess that's... Did, did I not explain that? No. Oh, well, that's what I intended to explain. Okay. So, anyways... They're gonna, not going to be in any particular order, but uh, I guess we'll start. So, for, first one we'll start with, um, it's one we saw down when we were in Ecuador. Yep, the Andean Cock of the Rock. Yeah, so these guys, they they were just beautiful birds anyways. We didn't see any females. All we saw were males, but... Uh, they're so awkward looking, though. Like, yeah. I mean, they're really pretty, but when they move around, it's really awkward. Yeah, I, that, I think part, part of their awkwardness looking around was because they were on a lek... Like, performing a ritual. So they're just, like, self-conscious? Yeah, I guess so. Because they're like, all these other dudes are looking at... That dude's probably better than me. Yeah, they're probably, like, getting really self-conscious about it. I can't see any of the females anywhere. <laughs> there, there weren't any. But, so these... these They're large passerines. Um, they're bright red, have some, some gray on their wing and some black on their primaries and their... I guess it was their tail. It was black too, yeah. Yeah, and we didn't see any females. Yeah. But they, if you look at a picture online, uh, they have, they're they chestnut brown color and they have a little bit of red in them. So would, what would they be, Eric? They would be sexually dimorphic. Very good. Yeah, so the males, um, they gather up in a lek, um, which is kind of, it's an it's a area that males gather to perform. And it's usually kind of like a cleared out area. Yeah. So females could see them easily. So the one we saw when we were in Ecuador, was kind of on a, like a mountainous spit. I don't know how to describe it other than that. It was like a let, like, like a ridge. It's like a finger, or yeah, like a ridge, yeah, yeah, sticking out. And it was kind of at the end, and there were like high trees above it, like a canopy above it, but then in between the canopy and the ground, it was pretty much empty, except for a couple sticks, which the males used as perches. Yeah, so, so they would perch up on the perch. They would sing their song, like a over and over and over, and they would bob their heads and just hop around and bob in their heads, and they had this, they have this big, it's not huge, but it's, I guess it's large for their size, a crest on their head that's kind of translucent. It's like bright red. It's bright red. Like, at the top half of their body is all bright red, but bright red crest, and just doing that over and over and over. While they're bobbing their heads and kind of dancing around trying to trying to get a female. Yeah. So then that kind of drabber female, she hops up and selects the male that I guess hops the best. Or maybe rats the best. <laughs> and uh, she sure. she then mates with them. Yeah. Um, after they've mated, the female will build a nest under an overhang and incubate the eggs and rear the young by herself. So that's all he has to do. Yeah, he just does some... Some dancing and urt and... Yeah. <laughs> and so this is definitely one of our favorites because we actually got to see a lek and experience the calls of five males. So that was pretty powerful in our lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the the, the guides in that area, it's they're, they're pretty regular, especially during breeding season, I guess. Two times a day they would come out there. So we, we got to... They knew, okay, four o'clock in the afternoon and whatever time in the morning. We went in the afternoon, so I don't know what time in the morning, but... In the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon, pretty much within five, five, five or ten minutes or either direction, they're they're out there doing their dance, doing their song, 
So, yeah. Having a good time. Pretty amazing. Or not having a good time, I don't know. <laughs> if the females don't show up. Yeah. So, number two on our top ten list are albatross, which are just a beautiful bird. And so we had to throw this in because in our <laughs> wedding vows, Eric called me his albatross. And <laughs> if you don't get the symbolism on this, it be- comes from a, a, a poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, in which a ship is being followed by an albatross. And that's a sign of good luck. And then one of the mariners shoots that albatross, and that's thought to curse the ship. And it, it's a very long poem. That's the synopsis of that section of it. So basically, what Eric said in our wedding vows is that I am a psychological burden that he feels <laughs> is a curse. So there's that. <laughs> well, albatross also made for life. So eh, I was pretty much saying that I wanted to be with you for the rest of my life. And, and albatross travel. They do a lot of flying around. We want to travel. So. Yeah. I I still don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Six years later. Oh. So uh, seabirds, <laughs> like albatross, they have typically have a ritualized sort of dance in their courtship. And this includes, um, like, you know, parts of displays and also vocalizations. So it's very, it's ritualized. They... Like have a set way of going about this. Well, and albatross also—they're—they're they're known for their dances. Like they're in David Attenborough's Life of Birds. They're on a couple other National Geographic documentaries. And if you just Google it, you know you're gonna find. Yeah, it comes right up. Find it. And it's just—it's amazing the way that they do it because it's so um, synchronized, or it should be so synchronized. And if it's not synchronized then, you know, that mate might not be of a good quality and their success will not be there. They're not bonded as tightly. Well, no, that they won't be selected (laughs) for a mate. Oh, I see what you're saying. If they can't dance, you know, if you can't do the the floss or whatever that new dance is called, then, (laughs) you know, you're just not going to mate that year. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. I can't do it. I tried to do it the other day and I thought I hurt my back. Yeah. I threw it out or something. I think yeah. I had my hips going all the wrong way. <laughs> well, so anyways, the um the albatross, um there's there's a bunch of, there's a there's a couple species of albatross. It's not just just one albatross, but um two of the species of albatross, Laysan and Blackfooted albatross, have been pretty highly studied for their dances. And they've identified um ten nameable parts of their dance. So they've Distinct sections of the dance that they've called um, includes things like uh, billing, where they gently touch their bills together, and then uh, sky pointing, which they point their bills up to the sky and then look down at their toes and look up at their sky and kind of go back and forth. They stand on their tippy-top toes and stretch up towards the sky. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's it's really very graceful and just a beautiful display. It it looks like it hurts sometimes, though, like some of the slapping that they do with their bills back and forth. You know, if you don't yeah. get it right, you stab somebody in the eye. I guess. Just like everything else in life. Yeah, just, just like the floss. You don't get it right, you throw your back out. <laughs> and I I really love albatross because they seem to be so loving, and I'm anthropomorphizing them, but they're they're just beautiful. And I want my life to be like an albatross, but not the kind that like, Eric like, thinks like I am. Like a burden? <laughs> <laughs> I'm your burden. No, that's not Too late all. now! That's not at all <laughs> You know. Anyways, so um, number three. On the list, um, there's a couple grebes. So we've we've there's a couple things about grebes that I think are just hilarious. Like I have this weird fascination with them migrating. I don't. It's it's complicated. 
<laughs> Basically, Eric thinks they're submarines. So a pied-billed grebe, when it goes down and dives down in the water, he thinks that's how they migrate, and it's just like they pop up somewhere else. Yeah. Like, all water bodies are connected, you know? They're so, all connected under, yeah. <laughs> underground. So it goes down in, what, like, Crater Lake here. It just bloops down, and then it ends up in Texas. Yeah, and then it bloops up down somewhere in Aransas or something. I don't know. I mean, we should probably track these things, like, put little geotags on them, because <laughs> you might be onto something. Oh, I think I am. <laughs> So, um, we're number three here is Clark's and That's Western Grebes. Not pied build. It's a whole different species of grebe. That's just an aside. That's an Eric <laughs> aside. Um, so, these guys, to be successful breeders, you must walk on water. That's it, pretty amazing. I know. Um, the, the display that they do is called rushing. And that's when they spring up and they run about 65 feet across the water in coordinated groups. And that's all done in about seven seconds. Well, so, so it's it's crazy because I, I was watching some videos of these guys. And it's it's not, not just the running, but they'll do like a synchronized head bobbing thing beforehand. And somehow during that head bobbing, they synchronize when they're going to stand up and take off running because... They stand up and take off running at, like, the exact same second. It's crazy. And National Geographic, um, they have a really interesting article about this that we'll include in our show notes. And they were uh, explaining a report that was done in the Journal of Experimental Biology about how they can accomplish this amazing feat of running on water. And it's found that it's done with a combination of 20 steps per second and... Those steps pushing against the water. Is that in 20 steps flat. per, like, left foot? Like, no. 20 left foots, or is it 20, I think it's 10, like, 10 left, 10 right? I think so. Okay. Right. Yeah. That's still a lot it's of not steps a pair per of second. Steps. Yeah. Like, 10 lefts and 10 rights per second. Well, and it said that, like, human runners, I think it said that they can only do, like, 7 per second, or 6 or 7 per second. That's crazy. Yeah. So they're little that, feeties. That seems really, really fast. fast. I don't think I can move my feeties that fast. But we'll include that article so you guys can see the video and, and read more about it if you're interested. So number four is Anna's Hummingbirds. And Eric will probably want to talk about this because he was attacked <laughs> by a, a displaying hummingbird once. I've been uh, attacked a couple times <laughs> by displaying hummingbirds. And they're renowned for being aggressive. And if you've ever tried to refill the feeder late, I'm sure you're well aware of these guys' ability to dive bomb you. Yeah, so they are pretty insane. I, while, while doing a little bit of research on this, I found some really fascinating, a couple fascinating, fascinating, fascinating studies about their ability to dive bomb. They're like, it sounds like they're pretty, or it looked like they're pretty much the fastest vertebrate by body length. So they travel more body lengths per second than any other vertebrate in while they're diving. That's and pretty amazing. It's it was crazy. I think it was like three hundred and twenty five body lengths per second. Well that's just that insanity. It's I mean it's it's probably it's I'm sure it's not as fast as a peregrine diving because they're so they're so much faster, but in terms of body lengths, the peregrine's so much bigger. Yeah. It it doesn't go as many body lengths per second. But they they do that they tra- they travel at that speed that's faster than everything else, and they also, in their acceleration, when they start their dive, it's not a passive dive, it's an active dive. So at the top of their dive, they're flapping their wings specifically to dive straight down. It's not just folding their wings and just diving and letting yeah. gravity do the work. They're accelerating downwards at speeds up to or at accelerations up to nine g's. That's crazy. Which is. Like, I, I don't know what a human can handle, but I think that's pretty close to the limit of what a human can handle 
like in terms of like jet fighters and stuff, nine Gs. So oh. when they're coming at you, you <laughs> better get out of the way. Seriously, they're fast. So males will do this crazy dive um, at, from about 130 feet up in the air and plummet towards the ground and at any females that might be watching. Um, and then he makes a high-pitched noises that come from the sound of the air that's just whipping through its tail feathers. And that, that sound is, like, really distinctive. Like, if, you, if you've ever heard it, you'll recognize it when you're standing out in the field and you'll know, hey, there's, there's a hummingbird, like, performing a ritual somewhere near here. And you can hear them from pretty far away. It's not it's not like a real small isolated sound. It's it travels for a pretty good distance. You can hear it from hundreds probably probably almost a half mile away, I would think. I've I've heard it from a long ways away. I just know that. It's it's loud. And you definitely you definitely know there's a hummingbird performing pretty close. So males will chase these fem- any receptive females who lead him towards their nest site and perches. And then when they get there, the males will do what's called a shuttle display, where he swings back and forth about a foot above the female. And um, then he'll sing while he's doing that, too. Hmm. And they don't form pair bonds um, like other species, some other species, but most likely they breed with a bunch of other other individuals throughout the season. Uh, Males will do it, females will do it, and then females will care for her young. So who knows who's the baby daddy? No, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody know the baby daddy. <laughs> All right, so number five is one that uh, is kind of on the the wish list of birds to see. All birds are on the wish list. Yeah, it's it's one that's on the wish list. That still, we haven't even gone to where they're at yet. So, well, bowerbirds. So bowerbirds, it's uh, not uh, not a single species. There's um, what was there? There's twenty species in the family. Yeah, twenty species in the family of uh, bowerbirds. And uh, you can't you can't do a courtship ritual show or discussion without talking about bowerbirds. At least it's a little just bit. irresponsible. It is irresponsible. <laughs> so we have to include them. Yeah, that's they have to be there. You put them in the middle because. I mean, everybody expects it. Yeah, you don't want yeah. them at the top. You don't want them at the bottom. You got to put them in the middle because they need to be there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, males build a bower. Relationship goals, remember. Hashtag. Um, <laughs> so, males build a bower, which uh, the word bower means a bedroom or a private apartment, especially for a woman in a medieval castle, which I hope someday to have a bower. I guess I'll have to build you a bower you, somewhere. You don't have to build it because it's medieval, so it already exists. Well, I can build, it, build you a bower in a castle somewhere. Okay. You can build me a bunch of sticks with... A bunch of sticks. <laughs> crap a, that you find on the floor. A bunch of sticks with, like, some raisins and, like, some beads. Beetle carcasses. Beetle carcasses. Yeah. I don't want that. Uh, $50 divorce in Florida. So, <laughs> some species in this family, they build maypole bowers, which they find, like, a sapling, and then they place sticks around the base of it. And then others build what's called an avenue, uh bower where it's kind of like a little road that goes under an archway so what i thought was crazy when i was reading about the bower birds so there's 20 species but i think there was like four of the species don't build bowers but they yet like they're still... don't do displays either it's yeah. like how do you find each other i, I don't understand like wh- you're just why walking are... through the woods you're like oh there's a female <laughs> <laughs> hey baby there's just a female just right there all yeah. right well then how do you impress the female if you're not building a bower and you're not doing a dance? You don't. It's just like the off chance that you actually see each other. You're like, well, well guess this is going to happen. Right place, right time. Yeah. 
I guess. I don't know. So they the ones that do build bowers, mm-hmm. they um, Hannah said there's two two different types. There's the little structure, and then there's an avenue. They they'll gather all sorts of things, like like we were talking about beetles or just think things that catch their eye. Flowers, leaves, plastic things, and, glass. And they'll spend tons of time rearranging, then rearranging, then re-rearranging these items to get them in just the perfect location. I know, the wind for... blows, and then it goes and fixes it all. Yeah, and like I'm sure if you're listening to us, you've probably seen David Attenborough. And if not, you can pause us and go watch the whole series and oh, then come back. call me and I'll let you borrow ours. <laughs> it is worth it. But there, there's he's he show he shows where the wind blows in in one of the one of the scenes. Wind wind blows, knocks a bunch of stuff over. Or maybe it was a, an animal knocked some stuff over, and he goes and he spends all the time fixing. I know, like all the beetle shells are like on their side, and it goes and places them so go, it's right side up, so the light catches over. it. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they spent they spent a lot of time. Like I don't know if females even like this because it it seemed like <laughs> when when I was reading it seemed like a lot of times like the satin bower beer, bower bird. They they do both this they do both a bower um, mm-hmm. the the room style not the avenue style uh, the satin bower bird will do the bower and then it'll also do a dance and from what it sounded like from the um, article that I was reading the females don't really even care about the bower they just care about the dance because they they made modifications to the bower and the the females still chose certain males so it was. I don't know. Who who knows what the females actually like? I just love it. Like, I want a male that can dance and knows how to decorate a room. Like, <laughs> that is just, you know what you want, girl. Yeah, and so what's what I thought, thought was kind of fascinating, too, is that the successful males, the males that have been chosen before, mm-hmm. typically get chosen again. Like, I mean, that's that's kind of like a no-duh with things. It's It's been good. You might as well keep going with what's good. But it's... Year after year, the top performing males continue to be top performing, and they don't—they don't really ever get knocked off their pedestal. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what's cool about this versus like lecking, is that you know the the males will, um, they like compete in territory and everything. But with this, it seems like males are just on their own in their own little house <laughs> and just bring the women over or bring the females over and display and everything, and then she goes off to another one. Yeah, like there's not as it doesn't seem like there's as much male competition. I know that they do steal stuff from each other's bowers, though. The males will, yeah. like, sneak into one of the other ones and steal some beetle shells or whatever. <laughs> as but, long as they don't flip all the other ones upside down so oh, he doesn't have to sit there and flip, fix them all. Oh. <laughs> I just couldn't even. <laughs> Can't even. Uh, but when we visited the San Diego Zoo a couple years ago, they had one of the aviaries that had bower birds in it. And so, of course, we're bird nerds. So we had to ask the person that worked there, the zookeeper, all about them. And she said that sometimes they will build bowers there and they have to go through and destroy them every year. So, you know, <laughs> they they have something to do for the enrichment. Oh, of course, yeah. I know, but, like, how cool would that be? I wish we could go see them. Like, at the, well, I mean... In you know where they're from, and also at the San Diego Zoo. Yeah, it would be it would be cool to see them where go go down to with New Zealand, right? This episode was brought to you by the Seabreeze Court, a family-run and uh, owned hotel in the North Oregon coast. 
of Cannon Beach, Oregon. It's about a half mile from Haystack Rock and about eight blocks into downtown Cannon Beach, which has many restaurants, many shops, and tons of stuff to do. In the summer, um, you can come out here and see tufted puffins, three different species of cormorants, common murs, all the super cool birds out on Haystack Rock, as well as many of our nearby parks. So call the Sea Race Court today and book your reservation for the summer, uh, 503-436-2928, or check Check us out online at www.seabreezecourt.com. Okay, well, back to birds. Um, number six is the white tipped doves. So we saw tons of white tipped doves. I, I wish we'd see more when we were in Texas. Oh, they're just a beautiful bird. They're, they're amazing and super crazy secretive. So the hawks or the um, bobcats would go through and scare all the other birds away, and they would be the last ones to come back. Like, to the feeders. Yeah, Chachalacas first, Green Jays first, white tip doves, last. Absolute last. <laughs> they have to know what's safe you, you, before you, they come out. You know when you're seeing them that pretty much it's... Every, you're not going to see anything else because they're the last ones to come back out. Yeah. So you've seen the white tips, you can go ahead and move on. You're not going to see any more birds. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they're a super cool bird. If you've been down to the Rio Grande Valley or anywhere else that white tip doves are, you'll know that, that it's a special occasion when you get to see them. Yeah, so I, I I don't know if this was one of like my spark birds for watching birds doing mating things in real life. Wow, are you a voyeur? I don't know. I don't know. It was so. No, mine was maybe. when I saw the American kestrels mate, and oh, I yeah. sent something to our our guide, and I said, "Oh, I saw two kestrels mate." And he said, "That means you've seen four of them." <laughs> well, I I don't I, I I didn't actually see any sort of inappropriate activities going on with oh, white tips. Oh, you just tips. saw courting then. I saw just the courting, yeah. Mm. So so the courting of the, the um, white tips, um, from what I was reading, they do some uh, aerial courting too, but I've only ever seen the ground courting, which involved uh, the male would puff up really big, he'd lower his head, and he would like go, hoo, hoo, <laughs> and he would like run forward, and he'd be like shaking, and like he'd be fluffed up big, and he, the female would just like, she doesn't she doesn't care. She just she just like walking around, bobbing her head, whoop, 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 whoop. and the male is just whoo whoo, right, like, just right after. Leave me alone, dude. I know, and that was so funny. I laughed so I I was in a blind, and I laughed when I saw that. It was it was loud enough that it scared everything away, and then I had to wait for all the birds to come back. But. It was hilarious. And they're a big dove, too. They're so when big, they're yeah. they're puffed up, they're like, what, the they're size huge. of a small cat or oh, something? At least, yeah. They're definitely as, as big as a small cat when they're puffed up and running forward like that. It's just, <laughs> just the funniest thing ever. They just, like, barrel into the females. <laughs> it's hilarious. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's probably more to this rating, mating ritual, and I didn't spend a lot of time reading about it. I just thought it was the funniest thing ever when I saw it. <laughs> And we couldn't talk about this without talking about the white tip doves, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, both sexes, we looked into it a little bit, will build the nest, and it's actually quite flimsy and made of sticks. So, the whole species seems a little bit primitive. <laughs> well, it's that, that kind of seems to be the norm with doves, because white-winged doves will do the same thing. They'll, like, take, like, four sticks and line the four sticks next to each other on a branch, and that's a nest. Well, I guess that works. There's lots of white winged doves. Yeah, now there is after after they went into after over over hunting and everything. Now they're kind of well. There's management back. now. Yeah. 
So number seven on our list are sage grouse, which of course there's a couple different species out of them, but uh, we're just generalizing on this one because yeah. they are so much fun. Um, and if you ever want to get a teenage boy interested in birds, a video of electing sage grouse is definitely the way to go. That's another one that's pretty funny to watch too. It's also seemingly inappropriate. <laughs> So, a group of males, this is another lecking species. Did we, do you feel like we adequately described lecking? I mean, if you want to try to describe lecking more. So, ahead. it's basically like a nightclub for birds. All of the males get on the dance floor and they just dance and display and, you know, maintain their territory and try to attract females. So, I just think of it like a, a discotheque. Well, and also the males will defend usually a small section of the lek to mm -hmm. themselves. So, that they're... I'm in charge of this one square square yard or square meter, and you can have your square meter over there. And but don't come into my square meter. Ex exactly. So they're they're territorial in general, and then usually territorial within their lek, for for most species. Yeah. So um, they have a strutting display, and this is done by gulping and holding about a gallon of air in a pouch on their esophagus and then they squeeze it out with all this force and that creates two air sacs on their chest that then bounce yes yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to describe i mean like it's... they have this fleshy pouch on their chest that they like squeeze air into and it boop, 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 kind of noises also i'm not gonna be the only one making sound effects this uh, episode no okay good <laughs> Well, that, that makes me less embarrassed, I guess. Oh, good. That's that's my prerogative. <laughs> it's it's like a popping, blunking sound, of with it's, their with their chest with their chest air sacs. It's called booming. Booming. So um, they they stand tall, and with that inflated chest held high, <laughs> the male sweeps his wings across his beautiful white vest breast and. It creates that swishing noise. And then he tilts his head back and rapidly inflates and bounces and deflates those balloon-like pouches on his chest. And the outward popping of these bare pouches creates a series of echoing pops, like we already described. And this display, it can be performed almost continuously, and it can be even up to ten times per minute that they do this. That's and crazy. it can be for several hours of the morning. So these guys really mean it. They're be, really trying to attract attention. That'd just be exhausting. Mm -hmm. Just standing out there dancing and popping and... <laughs> whatever they make. Whatever, whatever sound they make. Do you think towards the end, their wings are all like hanging real low and they're like... Bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> I don't know. Just worn out. Probably, probably the ones that don't get picked, probably. Yeah. Um, but something that I thought was really interesting that typically only one or two males, you know, are picked by the majority of females, which is kind of the case in these lecking situations yeah. that like, there's a couple, couple fellows that really shine in that situation. And, and then, then there's usually a handful that never get picked year after year, go out there, they dance, they do their thing and never get picked. Sorry, bro. Yeah. Um, but there was a situation that was just that I read about and all about birds that was really interesting, in which scientists recorded that a single male mated 37 times with 37 females in 37 minutes. Like, he must have been a stud. He must have been. I mean, that's that seems like a lot. 37 times in 37 minutes. Yeah. That's one, one a minute. Like, what what is going on? That had to have been... I, I wonder if they got, like, got it on video. Because, I mean, you can't... 
can't imagine like how fast is that bird moving from like female to <laughs> boom, 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 boom. It's like one a minute. There's what like the heck? A, there's a, there's a line up for him. Seriously. Hey, hey, hey. Bella. Hey. So Lekking displays, uh, they're from like March to May or so, and males will gather at dawn to do this performance. And I know there's a couple festivals that are like centered around it. So that would be really interesting to go see, you know, and do it in such a way that doesn't disturb the birds because they're out in an open like prairie. And so like cars driving up is going to be really disturbing to them. Yeah. Well, it's like, so we went to go see the greater prairie chickens in uh atwater and atwater um atwater prairie and it was it, pro- it would probably be a similar situation to that where they take they take you in a van you're in you're in their sanctioned vehicle on their specific roads and they're following certain rules about speeds and distance to stay away from the birds and stuff like that but you can you can see them from fairly close because the the little mounds that they were on there would be just a little ways out so i, I imagine any of the tours that you would take for this would be a similar situation you'd you'd take a van to to an area that they keep you they keep you a safe distance for the health of the birds well and probably Hopefully. probably something <laughs> we should have mentioned going into this episode or towards the end i guess but now is as good well, time as yeah. any yeah seven out of eight <laughs> seven out of ten yeah um so if you do go out and look for birds like this just you know keep in mind that these birds are trying to live their lives and that's why we don't condone, like, using bird calls. Yeah. Because that takes away from what they're naturally trying to do. And, like, I feel like most species, their energy level lives at a, ba- you know, a very tight balance. And so if you're distracting them away from what they should be doing, like, if they're all lucking, but then you drive up with your giant truck and they all have to disperse then they all have to come back at a later point. And so that's just going to take away from their natural functions. Or, or if you start playing... Uh, you, a call. You, you start playing a call, like you start playing a booming of a of the grouse. You, you start playing a boom, booming of the sage grouse, and it's louder than the other ones. You could distract all the females to coming towards you. Then, it's, by the time they realize that oh, you're not important, some maybe the dominant male has lost interest and has left, and now one of the subdominant males is now the one that's chosen. So. I mean, good for him now. <laughs> so worse genes are passed on. So, so, so now, good, yeah, good for him that he gets chosen. But I mean, that's not you. You've you've altered the habitat in a way that could potentially harm the species. And personally, as bird watchers, our goal is to not even be noticed yeah. that we're out there. Hopefully, yeah. So, we're, we're, we are noticed though. They don't. They don't well, not notice us. <laughs> I mean, like you know how I clamp clump through the woods. You know, like yeah. you can't not hear me coming, but. Just try to try to bring as little attention to yourself as possible, so these animals can go through their they natural their functions. And, yeah. yeah, live their lives. I don't want somebody distracting me from my dancing. Yeah, yeah, dance like nobody's watching. Yeah. Well, anyways, off of our high horse. Back to <laughs> <laughs> let me back, get down off the saddle. Back, back to birds making more birds. Number eight. So flamingos. Flamingos do some pretty funny things too. I mean, I'll. I could probably say almost every one of these is funny. Like just, just humorous. I, I love I love watching courtship rituals of birds. They're, and he can say funny. that because if you watched him dance, you'd think it's funny too. That's true. Yeah, don't. You can laugh. It's okay. Everyone else is. <laughs> but uh, but I'm gonna laugh at the flamingos because they're funny. Yeah, and this is a really fun <laughs> one to watch with kids. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they they just do. It just looks so funny. Like there's so many of their legs just moving together. So they they do this. 
I guess we should just describe it before just laughing too much about it. So they do this stance. They'll gather up in groups and they kind of all march together. Their legs aren't really synchronized, but their legs are all just moving like crazy. Mm -hmm. But their heads are like perfectly synchronized. And they're in a very tight group. Super tight. Yeah. They're, they're shoulder to shoulder touching and they just walk along in the marsh. Just walk along and their heads are held up high and they just turn them sharply left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, up. Yeah, and they just keep them, they, they keep, everything's tight, and the heads are synchronized, and they're just like, it's just, it's pretty funny to, to watch, and their heads, are, their legs are just, and just moving like so crazy. So, it's, it's good. So, flamingos live in pretty large colonies, it can number up in the thousands, and these, like, dance crews, uh, they can be made of tens to hundreds of individuals dancing together to find a mate, so a little segment of the general population will start this dance and trying to to find a mate within that group of other birds yeah so within within that that group of birds then they'll they'll start to kind of separate out as mates are chosen and they'll continue to do other um other aspects to the dance so which which will include spreading their wings doing salutes to each other it's kind of more, more of an individual basis once they're done with their giant synchronized march (laughs) <laughs> they do. And like albatross, a lot of these do have names with them. Um, they have a head flag, which is when they call loudly and extend their necks and wave them back and forth, kind of like a flag in the wind. And then that wing salute, like Eric was talking about, is when they stretch their necks out and then spread their wings. So then you can see the black parts of their wings. Um, so yeah, they all have names, which would be so much fun to teach kids. Like do the head <laughs> flag. It would be like a good like birding yoga or something i don't know yeah pilates. I, I feel like <gasps> bird pilates bird pilates. I, pilates I feel like it would be like a like a boy scout or a girl scout sort of like you're out in, out in the field and you want to teach teach kids about like like you got the deer ears and the oh the other the other things that people say in boy scouts and girl scouts i don't know I didn't, we obviously I, weren't in them i wasn't a scout but i know i know they teach these different things to help you teach animal be animal behaviors and adaptations but that would be a fun one to teach different uh Bird mating ritual things, but not the inappropriate parts. Yeah, not the inappropriate. Just just these things: the, the wing displays. salutes and the head flags. Yeah. Uh, so, wrapping up on flamingos, they're annually <laughs> monogamous, and so they find a mate for one year and then raise a, you know, their offspring, and then the next year they'll find a different mate. Well, and they they so they once they've mated with that with their mate, they stay they stay together. The male and the female both build the nest. They both care for the young. They they do everything together. At that point. And then as soon as it fledges, the male's off doing his own thing. Female's off doing her own thing. Moving on. So, um, <laughs> we're to number nine. Number nine. Which are sandhill cranes. And if you're in the U.S., like, I'm pretty sure you've seen or heard a sandhill crane fly over because they're really loud and raucous at times. And they're just, they're a big bird. And as we were doing the research for this, I found out that people actually hunt them and eat them. There's like recipes for them. I didn't. I didn't know that that was a thing. I don't. I didn't know that either. Like it's such a big bird. But their legs are so skinny. Seriously, what do I you mean, do with their legs? I mean, you're gonna eat like thigh that you can't see up high, but it's I just know. I don't know. It. You just learn something new every day. I guess. So, anyways, um, I guess you could eat anything, really. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. Like, I just didn't know that people hunted sandhill cranes for eating. Neither did I. I know. That was news to me. They were wrapped in bacon, too. You know, well, everything. That's just ridiculous. If 
If it tastes good, just eat it. If it doesn't taste good, don't eat it. Don't wrap it in bacon to make it taste good. Just eat the bacon. Yeah, just eat the bacon. Don't eat the bird wrapped in bacon. Whatever. Get off your high horse, Eric. <laughs> um, so anyways, these guys, the sandhill cranes, they mate for life. And they choose their partners based on dancing displays like many of the ones that we're talking about today. Yeah. So they display by stretching out their wings and pumping their head and bowing. And then they leap into the air, up and down, trying it, to, you know, attract the the other. It, it was it's described as a graceful dance, but not, if you've ever seen a video of it, nothing about this is graceful. It's just they jump, and one leg goes up, the other leg goes down, and one wing goes up, and they're just kind of like flailing, just kind of like whoa, whoa, and they, <laughs> it's like be, jumping back and forth, and they twist, and they jump, and they turn in the air, and it's I I don't. I didn't think it was graceful. It looked more like goofing off, and it was whoever can goof off the most is the best mate, I guess. Maybe they just have a really good sense of humor. That's probably what it is. The best comedian wins. <laughs> um, and they might throw, like, sticks and plants up in the air. and <laughs> Which, I, I didn't see any videos of that, but I think that would just make it funnier. Like, you just jump up and you throw a stick while you're in the air. <laughs> like, oh, look at me! Maybe it's how playful they are. Yeah, that's probably what it is. That's got to be what it is. So, um, upon success of the courtship displays, they typically have one offspring that survives, and they'll stay with the adult for nine to ten months. So, a long time. So, I didn't, I didn't see this. I don't know if you saw it. Did do they mate every? Do they reproduce every year, or do they reproduce every other year? So that offspring, like nine months, wouldn't bring them all the way back to mating season again. It would be like from they, from the time that from incubation to to everything would bring them back to mating season. So then they would be ready to mate again. Would they then mate then, or were they going to wait another whole year before they mate? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't see why they wouldn't mate. Oh, okay. But I don't know. I, I just I, I remember seeing down down in the south. I remember seeing some sandhill cranes that it's like you, you have you have an um, a young one hanging out with with the adults. You have to, you have a, a pair obviously a, a pair of adults and then you've got an, an immature and it's getting close to mating season still and it's they're still hanging out together. Do this I think as, as soon as it leaves, do they just like move on and then they're like, do hey, a new dance? next one? I I, yeah, I don't know. That's okay, I, I wasn't sure if you read anything. I didn't, no, I didn't see anything. Nope. Um, yeah. So well, if anyone knows, yeah, you know our email. So last but not least, number ten is. Frigate birds. Frigate birds. So, frigate birds, gosh, are just one of my favorite birds. I, I just love seabirds. I just, I want to be a seabird. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, but they, you know, are a large black bird that typically hangs out near everywhere I go on cruises. Because you, <laughs> <laughs> you see them at cruise ports. Um, except, obviously, in the Mediterranean. And some other places. But... They have, the males have this big, um, red sack on their throat, throat pouch that they can inflate when it's not inflated, you know, you'll see kind of a red area on its throat, Yeah. but it's not, you know, it's not big and like a balloon, but it's interesting when it is inflated. It's like a heart. It's like heart shaped. <laughs> it's just sweet. So it looks painful. Like, like all I'm... the time. When, when it's inflated, it just looks like it's painful. It's probably because it's just red. And you think of, like, red and, like, bloody pain sort of thing. Yeah. But it's just, like, looking at it, it just looks like it's painful. But I'm sure it's not. They just inflate it and they just chatter the bills and just hang out. 
Yeah. So, to attract females, males will gather in groups in, like, low areas and trees, and they'll inflate that red throat sack like a balloon, and then they clatter their bill really fast. And they'll wave their heads back and forth with their wings held out and calling forth to the females that are flying above them. Um, Once the female chooses a mate, which... I imagine is based on, you know, the call and the inflated balloon on its throat. And she'll begin to build a nest in that area where that male displayed. So he, he finds the location. She builds the nest. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't realize that, uh, that he chose to look. Because it, it seems to be normally the female does all the choosing location, stuff like that. Chooses the male, chooses the location. But the male chooses the location? Well, not always, because sometimes males build the nest and then they attract females to it. That's true, yeah. Like, hey, baby, come check out my house. Look at this nest I made for you. (laughs) Um, So the pair will stay together for about three months, and then the male leaves and the female raises the chick all alone. Huh. Well, hopefully he chose a good spot then. Yeah, Yeah. I think. Or hopefully she chose the right one that found the right spot. Yeah. Well, so those were the... 10 different birds that we thought would be pretty interesting to talk about for a little bit. I hope you guys found them interesting too. But there are thousands of other ways that birds attract each other and get attention to get mates and retain mates and just make other babies. Yeah. Have future birds. Yeah. Make, make more birds. But, uh, if you guys have anyone, any any that you want to share, share them on our Facebook or share them on our, yeah, there's tons yeah. of interesting other ones that we didn't discuss. Yeah, and... I, maybe we haven't seen them. I don't know. Yeah, right. Like the penguin and how they like give each other rocks. Yeah, give, yeah the gifting. Yeah. yeah we, we didn't, none, none of the ones we talked about had gifting. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah, so. There's ton, there's tons of different ways birds find, do things like that. Mm-hmm. And we'll add some uh, information in the show notes about like the um, videos that we discussed and any of the articles too so maybe yeah. that'll spur you on to find out more yeah i'll try to put a bunch of that stuff together yeah so happy valentine's day guys yeah happy valentine's day to you oh aren't you sweet happy valentine's day to you my oh. valentine <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast we hope you enjoyed it and are learning something please 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 rate review and subscribe and make my day on apple podcast stitcher google music and anywhere else you listen to us if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram and on our Facebook page, Hannah and Eric Go Birding, or email us at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. If you send us in a question, like we said, we'll send you a sticker. So please um, send us some questions and tell us what you hated, tell us what you liked, share us, and uh, yeah, have a good day. Thanks. Yeah, thank you.